I wanted to play that video to give you an idea. I, some of you may have seen it on Facebook, uh, like what happened at creation and everything, but um, for those of you who hadn't, I wanted to share that, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about it, because today what we're talking about is counting the cost. And what we paid at creation was a dear cost to receive what we received at creation. And the pictures, there, there's a couple of pictures. You can, you can go ahead and show the next one. That was right behind our campsite. Okay, I, it, there was probably eight to nine inches of water. As a matter of fact, they told us we're supposed to evacuate. Thank goodness those people did. <laughs> because there were campers all in through there. We didn't, there was a little berm between us and that. So, yeah, it, well, a road on that side, yes, correct. A road on that side, and on the other side, there was enough of a slope to where we didn't get that. But what we did get was all the water coming in from our area just sat in our kitchen. <laughs> and the, you, the first day you could see it wasn't muddy yet, but you could actually still see feet, but it was just under three or four inches of water. Then it just got to be so muddy. But I'll go ahead and show the next slide. That was our entryway. And this, this was, I believe, on Saturday that we took this picture. So you could see already, um, and it was that way almost the entire time, how muddy that was. Um, and then go ahead and show the last one. I think I had just, no, okay, this was, this was the kitchen. That was Bill from, uh, for those of you who didn't know, there were two churches who came together. It was Ignition Church and First Baptist Church of Malahakawaka, or whatever it is. Manahala, what? Managahela. There you go. If they listen to this, I, I probably ought to get it right. But uh, this is Bill. He came with them, and he was a godsend because he did all the cooking. He and Stoney just did all the cooking, and he was in the kitchen literally the entire time. But you see how much mud was in the kitchen. And yet all of this did not stop us from doing the last picture. Yes, Chubby Bunny. This was the last day, and I'm not going to show you the video of that, but we will put it online because it was kind of disgusting. But... Uh, but the spirit was never broken. The spirit was never broken. Why? Because we were pursuing Jesus Christ. And you could go ahead and go on to the next, next slide. There is a cost to serving Jesus Christ. There is a cost when you receive the free gift. I want to I make sure you understand the difference. There is a, not a cost to your salvation, to your ticket to heaven. There's no cost to that. All you do is simply receive the free gift that Jesus gives. However, once you have done that, once you have received by his 100% grace the free gift of salvation, there is a cost to living your life. You choose to live that life for Christ, or you choose to live that life for yourself. Either way, there's a cost. And over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to get into. The, these next couple of weeks are going to probably prove to a few of you an eye-opening experience. 
Perhaps something you've never heard before in Christianity. Because once we have accepted him, how we live our lives matters. It doesn't just make a difference for those who are going to come into the kingdom and being an outreach to somebody else. It makes a difference to us. It makes a difference to us here on earth, how we live our life, that relationship that we build with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also going to matter in the kingdom to come. Without getting into that right now, the millennium to come after the rapture and after the tribulation, it's going to matter then. When we are with Jesus Christ, it's going to matter. So if it matters, and the Bible says so, we better get an understanding of what that means. What is expected of us here on earth? What is expected of us in our relationship with Jesus Christ? So I gave that example of creation because i got to say, in five years being there, that was the worst creation element-wise. I mean, that's kind of obvious. We get rain every year, but we have never had a site that, like, collects all the water. As a matter of fact, I remember all the years before, we were one of the first sites when you drive in, you make a left, and, and it's right there on the left. Everybody passes it as, as they come in, which is really cool because everybody saw our sign. Everybody gets out, takes pictures of our sign in our camp, and that, for whatever reason, they love it. But I remember driving by all those other years and looking there and, and just thinking, oh, wow, wouldn't it stink to be there? <laughs> and then when we got there this year, oh, it's, uh, it's our turn. It's our turn to be there. And I didn't realize how prophetic that statement was. Okay, so element-wise, it stunk to be there. It was the worst creation. As a matter of fact, the last day, 80% of the people, some 60,000-plus people left. Okay, it was only these diehards that stuck it out, right? But I can tell you that we had the best creation I have ever had. How is that? How is that that you can go through something in life, think of something in your own life, that you go through, that from the outside looks ridiculously difficult. Doesn't even make sense. But yet, you going through it, know it was the best experience of your life. The reason for that is the cost that we're talking about. There is a cost to following Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read a few things here. I, I don't know how far I'll get this morning, but uh, hopefully at least through this first section here. And setting up what we're going to talk about the next two weeks before we leave for Mexico. But Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. Luke 9, 57 to 62. And I'm going to reiterate this again. Remember, you guys have a bulletin. On the left side of the bulletin, there's a place that says message notes. What I ask you to do, you don't need to write notes if you don't want to, but what I ask you to do is write down the verses. Write down the references, because Acts 17.11 tells us that you're not supposed to just accept what I say, hook, liner, and sinker. 
What you're supposed to do is take what I say, receive it with readiness of heart and readiness of mind, and then go home and prove it out. Go home and open these scriptures again and look at them and see what Jesus Christ is saying through them. So I want you to at least write down the references that we go over, if you would. Again, we're going to begin with Luke chapter 9, verse 57 to 62, and they say this. I'm reading out of the ESV. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, meaning Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to, the, to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. That's pretty hard to take. Nobody who begins this work, nobody who begins this relationship with Jesus Christ and then second guesses that relationship is fit for his work. See, Jesus wants us looking forward. Jesus wants us always moving forward in our relationship to him. Let me make clear, and I'm going to make clear later on as well, it's not about the works. It's not about that I am plowing forward in a list of things that I need to do for Jesus Christ. I read my Bible ten minutes every day. I went out and I handed out 50 tracts over the course of a week, and I did that every week. I went out and I did this, and I did that, and I have this list of things that make me feel like I am growing in my relationship. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those things being a result of the relationship. See, if your relationship with him is the number one thing, all those things become automatic because he works through you. And those are the things that he does. So as we begin our relationship with him, it's important that we don't look back. It's important that we don't second guess, why do I have this relationship in the first place? Jesus Christ has, having a relationship with him, I've lost my friends, I've lost my family, I've lost my job. You know, as Pastor Jack said earlier, he lost his job because of Jesus Christ. Do you think he regrets it? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. So when we move forward with Jesus Christ and as we encounter problems, we can't look back. We can't look back and say, wow, I'd have been so much better off without being too deep in this relationship. Why? Because then I get to do some of the things that I want to do. He says, be careful, because when we do that, we're not fit for his kingdom. All right. So I want you to turn as well to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to look at another cost that Jesus Christ lays out for his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, 
verses 24 to 27, if you're writing this down. Matthew 16, 24 to 27, says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. I want to point something out here. This is really important. I want you to look at it later when you get home. He is talking to Christians. He's, ta- he's not giving an announcement to everyone. He's talking to his 12 disciples here. He is talking to those who already follow him. So he's not, talk- he's not talking about heaven versus hell. He is talking about the rewards of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's, let's look back at what he says here, verse 25, for who, whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not about taking your life, by the way. It's about what controls your life. When you become a child of God, you have a choice. And we've talked about this many, many times. It's your will versus his will, right? That's the life we're talking about. Anyone who would lose his will to the will of the Father will find it. They will find that life. They will have that life. Anyone who keeps their own will, forsaking the will of the Father, will lose that life. Not lose it in hell. I want to point that out. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Remember, he's talking to Christians here. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 guarantee, promise that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit until you receive your inheritance. So until we are standing before God in the afterlife. We have heaven guaranteed. It doesn't matter what you do. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. By the way, there is nothing you can do to even give it back. Even if you wanted to, you can't give it back. Why? Because it had nothing to do with you. All you did was say yes. All you did was receive a free gift that was 100% Jesus Christ's grace for us. Okay, you cannot lose that. You can't give it back. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the life that we live here on earth. He's talking about how he works in the life of a Christian. The difficulties that we have, he gives us someone to turn to. He gives us someone to build a relationship with, and that's himself, Jesus Christ. But he's not just talking about that. He's also talking about when we are with him in heaven. See, until we are in the final heaven, we will go through this period called the millennium. The Bible reveals more about the millennium than it does about the final heaven. After the great white throne judgment and everything is 
is done where Satan's cast in, into the outer darkness, there's really very little said in the Bible about that. There is, however, a lot said about what most of us would think of as heaven, and that's the first time period, that millennium, that thousand years reign of Jesus Christ here on earth. So how we act in this body, on this earth, at this time, greatly affects how we live now, but also how we will be then. doesn't affect whether we'll be there. Okay, and this is what we're going to get into over the next couple weeks. And this is why it's important for you to write these verses down. Because you need to prove this out for yourself. Because this is critically important. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. You accepted that free gift. And so immediately when you did that, you became what the Bible calls a bondservant. A bondservant is a servant by choice. A servant who for life is marked for life. It was by choice that I became a bondservant of Jesus Christ. That my life no longer is my own. But it's his. It's his to do whatever he, he wants to with. And I've found after 42 years of being saved, that when I go his way, I'm happier. When I go his way, I'm more fulfilled. I have hope. I have peace. I have love. All those fruits of the Spirit that are not there when I'm going against his will. That's what we need to apply today. Because everyone in here who has accepted Jesus Christ has a plan. He has a plan for your life, but so does the enemy. The enemy has already plotted out what he plans to do to thwart you. Because he may not be able to win your soul, because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, but he can defeat your life. Anybody in here ever live a defeated life? Yeah. I think anybody who has accepted Jesus Christ at one point or another has lived a defeated life. thing is, we don't have to. But what we have to understand is there's a cost to it. It's not about, God, this is the direction I'm going, will you bless it? <laughs> I mean, kind of, that's natural, I get that. You know, well, we think this is the way we're supposed to go. God told me, and I, I just kind of feel good about this way. That's not what he says. He promises to show us the way. And he does, in fact, in his word, he shows us his way. As you, as you develop a personal relationship with him, he speaks to you personally about that way. And he reveals things to you. Verse 27, I want to repeat, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Okay, when he comes in the glory of his Father, this is after the tribulation period, Jesus Christ, with his angels and with his saints, come down to this earth to face the enemy and to defeat the enemy. So he says, after that point, I will repay what they've earned. That's what it says. 
Again, study it yourself. He will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, just a neat little trick. You could think, well, what he has done, meaning what Christ has done. No, that's an easy way to figure that out in your Bible is if it was talking about he, meaning Jesus, he would be capitalized. You don't need to know even the Greek or the Hebrew to figure that out. That's what they do. So it's according to what we do ourselves. He will repay us according to what we do. All right, so as we get into this study, I want you to understand, and I've mentioned it before, but I want to make sure this foundation is laid. And if we get through at least this part today, we'll be doing pretty well. When you read about salvation in the Word of God, you are reading about three parts. Don't get confused in the fact that salvation is all one thing, and then you read Hebrews 6 and think, wow, I can lose my salvation. Because that's real easy to do. Because Paul talks about losing what you have. It being taken away from you. Losing the very things that you've earned. Okay? So what it boils down to, the scripture teaches us, is our justification our sanctification, and our glorification. That's what salvation in the Word of God boils down to, separated into those three parts. Jesus Christ takes two of those parts and handles them completely. We don't have to do anything for them. Our justification is what makes us righteous before the Father. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins lived a perfect, sinless life, was sacrificed as a man for us. He fulfilled the law because he was perfect and he was sacrificed. He rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father right now. So our justification of our sins, what justifies us before the Father, is accepting that, believing that, that he did that. That's what's called the gospel. That the, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, came to this earth as a man, and yet fully God, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, sits at the right hand of the Father. It's pretty simple. That's what the Bible calls the gospel. We have to believe the gospel. We believe that he did that, but then it says, by mouth, confession is made. So we have to accept that, not just believe it. The Bible says the demons believe it. They're certainly not saved. They don't even have the capacity for that. So we have to do more than believe it. We have to accept it. So we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, and we make him Lord of our life. Again, that's 100% grace on his part. We do nothing except accept. That is the justification part of salvation. We are now justified before the Father. Do you know from that point, we taught this back in the armor of God, from that point, the Father sees you as holy. The Father sees you as perfect. He sees you as completely justified. Why? Because, first of all, he couldn't see you before in your sin. The Father can't look at sin. So Jesus Christ took his veil of his blood, and he draped it over us when we accepted him. So the Father sees us through the veil of Jesus' sacrifice. 
That's how the Father can look at us. That's how he sees us as perfect. So when we stand before him, we are perfect in his eyes. Hallelujah. That's amazing. However, in front of Jesus Christ, Jesus knows who we are. He's the one who bought us with a price. He's the one who we develop this relationship with. And he's the one that begins to work that second part, that sanctification process. So I said Jesus Christ takes care of two of them, right? Takes care of our justification. And then when we die or the rapture comes, whichever comes first, he takes care of our glorification. All right, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, say this. Romans 8, 29 and 30. And this is talking about those two that he takes care of, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is talking about Jesus Christ. The Father foreknew who was going to accept Jesus Christ. And they were predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Okay, and then that Jesus Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. Verse 30, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those, those whom he justified, he glorified. So see, the Father is going to take care of justification and our glorification. That's something you don't have to worry about. You are justified when you accept him. You will be glorified when your last breath is breathed on this earth. That's when glorification happens. We receive our glorified body. Justification decides our destination. However, sanctification decides our human experience here in our relationship with him, as well as our experience in the millennium. And then glorification is the realization of these promises. Stay in Romans chapter 8, but go back to verse 12. And this is talking about how we're heirs with Christ. This is, this is what glorification is. It's the realization of those promises that were made to us. And let, let's read 12 to 17. Again, Romans chapter 8. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to those who are saved, right? So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That sounds a lot like the passage we read a few minutes ago, right? About the will. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
to the Holy Spirit, that as we develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes interactive in our life. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our, with our spirit, it says here, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What's that next word? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's real easy to read through some of these verses and skip some really important words. I did for the majority of my saved life. That word provided holds some really important clues as to how we're the importance of this relationship with Jesus Christ. What did it say here? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided. That means if we do. See, that part's not a guarantee. Our sanctification process is not a guarantee that Jesus Christ does everything. In fact, he does not. On purpose, he does not. See, the Bible says that if we take a step toward him, he takes a step toward us. It doesn't say just the opposite. Again, talking to Christians, it doesn't say Jesus Christ takes a step toward you and then begs you to come to him. See, when we have accepted him, we are called to live a life with him. That calling is right here in the word of God. We're called to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ that is more real than the relationships you ever develop here on earth. My wife, Alexis, is my best friend. And I can't imagine another earthly relationship closer than she and I are. But yet it doesn't hold a candle to my relationship with Christ. And the same with her. Christ is her number one relationship. You say, how in the world is that even possible? You can't see Christ. How do you build this relationship with someone that requires so much faith? It's kind of like your salvation. You take that step, you trust him, and he begins to reveal himself to you. It's truly an amazing process. If you yield yourself to Jesus Christ and your relationship with him, the Bible promises that he's going to come and be with you. It promises that he's going to reveal himself to you. It's not a one-way trip the entire time where you are just doing the entire work until finally one day you breathe your last breath and you get, oh man, I was right, that's awesome. I get to see Jesus now and now I get the fruits of me just sacrificing. Now see, he doesn't work that way. When we make a step toward him, he takes a step toward us. In our relationship with him, he takes a step toward us. If you pray to him and, and say, God, reveal yourself. Show me in your word. Show me in my relationship to you that you're real. And you have that trusting faith to expect what he's about to show you. Then he will. It's amazing. Try it. Try it, and if it doesn't happen, you call me a liar. I know it happens. 
Because I've experienced it. I've met thousands of people that have experienced it. See, he expects faith. But then he also reveals. And as he reveals himself, that's why I can say my relationship with Jesus is more real to me than all the people that are physically real to me. That seems kind of loony, doesn't it? But it's true. Why? Because he reveals himself. He is part of this relationship. It's not just about me learning his precepts and his word. And Okay, yeah, I did that one today. You know, I got my list of a hundred things I've got I to gotta just do and, and, and have to stay on and have to be careful of. And, and that's what I do. No, that's legalism. <laughs> that's not relationship. Relationship is when you take a step and you trust. And that trust is met, and that faith is met by him revealing himself. He does that. That's why it's a relationship, because it's interactive. That's why the Holy Spirit is part of it, because the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He is not a silent God. He is not a God that just reveals himself out of pages. Because then we could have a relationship strictly through intellect. And by the way, that leads to pride. My relationship with him is not because of what I know in the word. Thank God that he's revealed himself to me in the word. But it's not because of what I know in the word. It's because what I've learned through the word of who he is. And he proved it out. See, he took his word and he made it alive to me. In my personal relationship, he is interactive. He's interactive through his Holy Spirit. That's relationship here. That's how we know that we've submitted fully to him. When you start looking at your sanctification process, which is that first breath from you, when you accept Jesus Christ Savior to that last breath before we're either taken or you pass on. That is your sanctification period. If you look at that in terms of relationship, it's more about how do I get close to you, Jesus? Not in terms of ministry. You know that you can do ministry and it not, it, it'll be that wood hand stubble that's burned up before the beam of seat of Christ. Even though it's ministry, even though it's good, you can do that and do it for the wrong reasons. You can do it because I'm living off this checklist. What he says is what? Seek him first. Seek his kingdom first. His righteousness. We're to seek relationship with him first, and the rest of it comes out of that. Now he said... He is the vine, we are the branches. And he who the Father loves prunes and makes more fruit come out of it. Does that mean all he's got to do is get us to decide to add a few more items on our checklist? <laughs> no. See, we've got to keep the one thing the one thing. And that one thing is we seek this depth of relationship with him. So then when he wants to prune and he wants to add more fruit, he does it through the result of that relationship. 
You want God to work in your life? Get close to him. How else are you going to know what he wants for your life? Don't expect to open the word of God. Okay, okay, Lord, I'm just going to flop it open. And I know that's what you're going to be telling me. You flop it open and all of a sudden it's an exodus about how everybody's dying. Okay, that, there might be a flaw in your logic there. Okay? And I'm not saying God can't work that way. But the motivation's wrong. The motivation is for him to fulfill some need that you have without relationship. See, he knows deep down our need is relationship. Our deep need is to know him, to be filled by him and his love. And when we do that, then the rest begins to flow. And I challenge you, give it a try. Give it a try in seeking him only, not in the works, but in relationship. And we're going to get into how we do that. But I want you to turn first to Hebrews chapter 6. And this is a tough chapter. As you begin to read this chapter as a saved person, it can really throw you off unless you understand what's going on. And I want to just go through a couple quick things here, and then we'll be done this morning. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 say this. And actually, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go back, I'm going to start at verse 4. And, and we'll expand upon this later on in the subsequent weeks, but I want to touch on it right now. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, okay, these are people who are saved, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding up him up to contempt. What it's saying there, by the way, is you can't get saved twice. You're not going to be justified twice, because when you're justified once, there's no need for further justification. Okay, but then he gets into sanctification here. Verse 7, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. Notice it says, remember, look at the subtle words, near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Don't assume that's hell. We're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks. Though we speak in this way, this verse 9, and this is um, verse 9 here. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, he's talking about the sanctification part of salvation here. Verse 10, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you, each one of you, to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith 
and patience inherit the promise. So see, we don't inherit the promise without a cost. Just said faith and patience. Wow, those are two, some, two of some of the most difficult things, right? Faith and patience. How many have heard, don't ever ask for patience because he's got testy in it, right? Okay, there is a cost to our sanctification. But through that, we will inherit the promises of God. The fruit of our works for Christ lead to this sanctification. The last, the last uh, verses I want to show you, go back to Romans 6. Romans 6, verses 19b, halfway through the verse, to 22. And again, this is the fruit of our works for Jesus Christ lead us to this sanctification process. Okay, And the fruits come from this relationship. So let's start halfway through verse 19. And it says this, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. He's talking to saved people here. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Do you understand what he's saying there? You are not made righteous in your relationship upon salvation. The Father sees you as righteous, but Christ sees the sin in our lives. He knows if we are seeking Him or seeking our own. Right? And that's what He's saying here. Again, let me, let me repeat verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, He's already talking to people who, who are saved. Okay, we're slaves to sin by our own will. This is not talking about justification. This is not talking about accepting that free gift. This is beyond that. We can still, as saved people, sin. We can still be slaves to sin. Because we become slaves to our own will. You ever want something so bad that you just give up everything else for it? Now, if that one thing is something that Jesus Christ doesn't want... That's sin. That becomes, we become slaves by choice. We become slaves to that sin. Verse, 20, uh, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. When it's all about our will... Over Christ's will, there's nothing good that comes out of that. Verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end. Eternal life. So the goal of this sanctification and the end of this sanctification is eternal life. For the wage, and this is, everybody's heard this one, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to understand just in closing here, 
as we begin this understanding of the sanctification process, that it is about relationship. It's not about your justification. Remember, there are three parts to salvation. There's our, our acceptance of Jesus Christ, our justification, and then ultimately our glorification, but that one in the middle, our sanctification, that's where we're at right now. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, that's where you're at right now. How you live your life right now, how you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ matters. And that is our sanctification. Bow your heads with me.